listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. Uh, Before I start, I just want to mention these pledge cards that you'll find in your seats in the pockets right there. Um, During this series, What Matters Most, we're inviting you to consider as we move towards the end of the year, uh, our partnership. We we mention this every week that um, financially giving does many things that helps us combat the forces of this world and materialism to say that what matters most is God's kingdom and his work to help people know, follow, and share Jesus and being part of the church means a partnership in that and all the good things that God's doing. So this is really um, just an opportunity for you to, uh, to a spiritual discipline, to, to be intentional. Um, I know it takes intentionality uh, to teach and to model and to live out stewardship in that way. And so we want to give you that uh, as, as a way to do that. You can find it online as well. If you're worshiping with us online, there's a digital version um, at foundrychurch.org slash pledge. But just over the next few weeks, if you would uh, practice that reminder, let's pray. God, thank you for the ways that you are at work in our midst. And for this message today, Lord, I pray that it would fall upon our ears and our hearts and that we would receive it, um, that, our, that the heart, um, that our hearts, that would be fertile soil, and that you would, Lord, that your spirit would be at work, um, that you would speak, um, and that you would move us and transform us, not just um, to delight our ears in uh, words that are said, but to really change our hearts, to align us with your will for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we kicked off this series. We're looking at the Good Samaritan. Um, last week, we, we took the first character. The next um, two weeks, we're going to take the other characters in the story. Uh, I love that Jesus leaves this, this story kind of vague. The details are not, everything's not spelled out for us. Uh, um, and I think that's intentional. I think Jesus wants us to find ourselves in the story. Uh, we said last week, you know, most of us have heard of a, of a, of a Samaritan, Have you? Yeah, a a good, like what's the adjective that we use to describe a Samaritan? A good Samaritan, right? That would have been ironic in Jesus' day. Samaritans to the Jewish people were not good. Um, This was an unexpected hero. And, uh, and, you know, there are hospitals and Samaritan's Purse and charities and nursing homes and churches and all of this, right, we, we just kind of take, let me just do this. Uh, because we're using the same scripture, I thought it would be fun um, to see if you could fill in the blanks. Now, I'm not going to make you yell out, right, because anyway. Um, but see if you can fill in the blanks. I'm going to read this scripture, but it's not going to be there until, until I say it. So we're in, we're in Luke chapter 10. Very familiar idea, very familiar story Jesus tells. He says, a man was going down, now this is important, remember this, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. I'm just going to let you grade yourself, most of them. (laughs) They stripped him of his clothes, 
beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A, anybody know this? A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Then along comes a Levite, somebody got it. When he came to that place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, the hero of the story, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Okay, so several, several key characters. We talked about the man who was beaten on the side of the road and how if we really want to be the hero in the story, like if we really want to live into Christ's calling and respond to the Spirit and, and do as the Samaritan in the story does, to notice the needs around us and to respond and, and to live in the center of God's will, not to miss not to miss what matters. That's, that's ultimately what, you know, where this is situated in the stories, and we'll get to it, is in response to a question. But if we want to do that, then I think it starts by us acknowledging and recognizing our own need for grace. Because if, if what really matters is to love people well and to extend grace, if that's how we love God, then the only way we're going to do that is if we acknowledge our own need for grace. You can't extend grace unless you realize your own need for grace. Because otherwise you're going to be prideful and arrogant. You're going to look down at others. You're not going to think others are worthy. Unless you can see your own brokenness, you can't really be present with broken people. You're going to be judgmental. And here's the hard part. Like the longer you walk with Jesus, it shouldn't really be this way. I hadn't figured out why, but, but for some reason, the longer we walk with Jesus, the longer that we learn at least intellectually his story, study the Bible, the more that we hang around the church, it, it seems to me that a lot of us like grow out of touch with our need for grace. We don't see ourselves as broken. We, if we're not careful, we can lean into being pharisaical, being like the Pharisees, the ones who just look down their noses and judge everyone. What, what I know is when, when somebody comes to Christ and has a radical conversion and they come out of a life of darkness and despair, they're a whole lot more willing to go to people who are broken. They're a whole lot more passionate and I can even remember this as a teenager when I recognized what, what following Jesus, what saying yes to his grace in my life really was about. That it wasn't what I did, but it was what he did on my behalf and what he invited me to receive, that free gift of grace. When he lit a fire in my heart as a teenager. But what I realize is the older I get, the harder it is, the more that like I'm, I, you know, I, I, I feel self-sufficient. Anybody with? Is it just me? Like, but we have to go back and realize we are like the beaten man on the side of the road. We are. We are. We just are. We're poor and naked, and, and we are without any ability to help ourselves spiritually. That is, that is who we are. And unless that good Samaritan, we receive his grace and, and, and we understand his, his, the need in our own lives, we will not respond. We will not respond in grace to others. 
And so we talked about that last week, and today I want to look at the two characters that we expect to be the heroes that aren't, the, the unheroes, right? Let me back up to verse 25. I, that was 30 through 34, the story that Jesus tells. If we back up and you open your Bibles to Luke 10, you can follow along with me. But there's, it's important, again, to recognize the context, not to lose sight of what Jesus tells this story in response to. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Teacher, uh, a lawyer, comes and asks him. And we talked about last week, lawyer is not... A, not what we think it is often, a, a lawyer. It's not like a modern-day lawyer. This, the, the teacher of the law, this is the expert in the law. This is the man who has studied his whole life. He's expert in the Torah, and he says, Teacher, must, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus is not fooled by this question. That was surprising. Um, Jesus is not fooled by this question. Uh, the, the man is either, he's either trying to validate himself or he's trying to, I think, this is more likely, he's trying to trap Jesus, as happens other times. Um, and he, he asks this question, what must I do to inherit life, eternal life? Jesus is not fooled. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He knows that he knows the law. He knows, he knows what the answer is, but he wants to kind of engage Jesus in this theological debate and, and keep it abstract. Jesus is cro- going to cross-examine the lawyer. You know, I don't think I would want to be cross-examined by Jesus. And he turns it around. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with, with, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is part of what the Jewish people would recite every day. It was the Shema. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then to justify, now now listen, you've been there. We all have. You've said something. You wished you could take it back. Come on, people. You know you have. Yesterday, probably. (laughs) Right? Maybe today already. I don't know. You say something. You wish you could take it back. I imagine this lawyer, this was one of his highlights. This was one of those moments. (laughs) His lowlights, right? He said, but aren't you glad he did? Because we wouldn't have this story. I mean, what would they call the hospitals? I don't know. But he says, he says, what does he say? He says, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? This is what Jesus responds with the question, this question of who is my neighbor. He's trying to qualify. He knows the law. He knows what's written. He knows that that the main thing is all about loving God and the main way way that we express love for God is by loving his children. Love God, love people. I have a friend who has a mug that says, love God, love people, don't do dumb crap. You know, like that, that's a pretty good model for, motto for life, isn't it, right? I mean, what would our witness be if we just did that, if we just loved God, loved people, and didn't do stupid stuff? I mean, maybe Jesus didn't add the third part, but I think it's a good part, right? But he says, love God, love people, but he can't help himself 
who? Who do I have to love? Now, I don't want us to miss this because the parable, in the parable, Jesus challenges this question by saying it's not about who you have to love. It's about whether you will be a neighbor to the one who God puts in your path And maybe the one in your path will not be the one you expect and maybe it'll be inconvenient and maybe it'll be messy. But listen, loving people will be messy. When God says love, when when Jesus says love God and love people, it seems like he's making it simple, but we know that that simple command is one of the most difficult things to do. Unless we can qualify it. You know, it was G.K. Chesterton, I think, that said, The Bible teaches us to love our neighbor and our enemy because a lot of times they're the same person. (laughs) Loving people is not as easy as we think it is because you don't get to choose. Not in the way Jesus is talking about loving. You don't get to choose who you love. And so Jesus goes into this parable, this story, to, to, to expose to not just to the man there, but everyone in the crowd, their own, listen, this is not about some, abs- he turns it around and makes it personal, and he gets, and he's very vague with all of the characters because he knows that we need to see ourselves in each one of them. And he's, he's the most vague with the two in the center of the story because I think that he recognizes that they all know. They all know the crowd. All of the ones that are like the lawyer in the crowd understand. They understand these two characters, the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite. It's almost like the beginning of a joke, isn't it? As we were preparing, it's like the priest and a Levite walk into a bar. And like, but Jesus tells a story about a priest and a Levite. Now, the priest was responsible for worship. He was a sort of a bridge builder. It's not, it's not exactly like a pastor today. They relied on a priest for sacrifice. They relied on the priest to be a mediate. We have Jesus, the, 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 the great high priest now, but in their system, in their day, the, they, 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 they played an extremely important role as a mediator, as a mediator between God and people. And here's a man on the side of the road, and the one who can help, and the one should help, who should help, there's, there's a, there's a pi- great word picture. There's this story exposes a lot of things spiritually. A Levite was a descendant from the tribe of Levi. He was a Bible teacher who had also spiritual and political leadership in the local synagogues. They were in charge of maintaining the temple. These are exactly the people who you'd want to help you. And yet the story says that they are the two that walk around, that, that avoid the man who is in need. It it, Jesus doesn't give us all the details, but, but he is clear that they saw him. I think that's important. They don't miss it. Like, they see it. And yet, they do miss it. Because they see the man, they see his need, and yet they miss what is their divine intersection opportunity for that day, for that moment. 
Why? Why do they miss it? None of us want to get to the end of our lives and say we missed it, not the main thing. None of us want to say we live for lesser things. Jesus knows that those in the crowd can, can relate. He doesn't spell it all out. Um, and one of the important details in the story is that it says that the man who was beaten and robbed and left half dead on the side of the road was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, it's important to realize a few things about that description. First of all, that was a treacherous route. It was a, a commonly, um, when we go to the Holy Land, when we visit, we still, we go to this ridge on the top looking over the Judean wilderness and Jericho's on the right and Jerusalem's up the hill on the left. And you can just imagine, it's a very, um, it's a very rocky, uh, uh, r- rough trail with a lot of places for thieves to hide. And so when Jesus tells a story, it is not hard to imagine this happening along this trail. He says he's going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. But what he doesn't say is which way the priest and the Levite were going, which way the Samaritan was going. But we, we can kind of use our imagination. In fact, even though we don't know for sure, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna take some privilege today and do what I'm gonna call sanctified imagination. I'm just gonna guess, and I can't prove it, but Jesus leaves it vague, so we're going to have fun with it a little bit. We're going to talk about, because I think there are some excuses, number one, but I also think that tied to that are the, re, the possibility that, that the priest and the Levite were going the other direction. They were going possibly from Jericho to Jerusalem. I don't know that, but if that's true, it makes a lot of sense in the story. Because why would they have avoided this man? Why would they have overlooked? There were a few reasons they might have done that. The first one is that they were busy. I know none of us can relate to that. You know, I don't want to miss what really matters, but I have a whole lot of things on my agenda. And maybe a lot of the things on my agenda, I need to evaluate whether they're really important or not. And maybe it's not stacking more and more and more lesser important things into my schedule, instead leaving a little bit of space, a little bit of margin for the, the possibility that what God really wants for me might be a surprise along the way. They didn't know they were gonna run into this man along the path, but there is their holy opportunity. If they, are, if they are going to Jerusalem, a, a, a priest and a Levite are going there for religious reasons. They're going there to perform their religious duties. They have a full schedule. They have tasks that God has assigned for them to do. Holy work. And maybe, just maybe, they go around the other side of the road because God has called them up there and they say no to the very God intersection that's right in front of them because they think they're doing righteous work up in Jerusalem. And this would be an interruption to their schedule. The other possibility is that, you know, excuse number one is they're too busy to stop, possible excuse number one. Possible excuse number two would be that, that it just wasn't their job or it just wasn't their 
people. You know, this is not their, how many of us have been there, right? Somebody else will help this poor man. Somebody else will help. And actually, this is, their jobs were defined so clear, and Jesus doesn't say whether this man was a Jewish man or not that's been beaten on the side of the road, but I have to kind of guess that he is. And, 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 you know, last week we unpacked a little bit of what that dynamic might have been when the Samaritan comes along, and the Samaritan is the one who wants to help, and the Jewish man just saw two of his brothers go by, and they don't stop to help. But for, for, for some reason, maybe they saw a need and said, Gosh, it breaks my heart, but somebody else will do it. You been there? Don't involve me. The third excuse might be the best one. Most likely one. They're all bad excuses. The third excuse might have just been that this man was unclean. There's blood, it's messy. Listen, if it's a priest and a Levite and they are going to Jerusalem to perform their their religious duties, stopping to help this man might actually prevent them. It might not just be a delay. In their religious system, touching a man like this may have disqualified them from the real thing they thought they were supposed to be doing in Jerusalem. Again, this is a story that Jesus tells, not filling in all the details on purpose so that we can relate to it. And I wonder how many of us say no to divine opportunities, divine intersections, and because it's just too messy. Because it'll complicate things. Because it'll be costly because it'll be an interruption. Because it'll just be a whole lot easier if we just wait. Somebody else will help, won't they? I love the story Beth Moore tells. Um, Beth tells the story of she was at the airport in Houston flying out to go speak somewhere, and she's working on her speech, and she was praying, you know, God, just, just don't make me witness to anybody on the plane. Like, just don't bring anybody. Like, just, I hope nobody recognizes me, right? I just need to get some work done. I've got a lot of people to speak to. And, and out of the corner of her eye, she saw this, this older gentleman who was dirty and messy and his hair was all knotted up and he had long fingernails and she, she, she saw him. And that was the problem, she said. Because once I saw him, I just tried not to see him anymore, but I just kept seeing him. You, you've been there, right? And she said, God, please don't make me, you know, please don't make me witness to him, especially not him. And Beth said, finally, the Lord was just so loud, and she knew she wasn't going to be with, with integrity, going to be able to even give her message and set, unless she said yes to him. But the Lord said something to her that she did not expect. The Lord said, go brush his hair. Go brush his hair. And when, I guess when you're Beth Moore and God says do do something, you do it. (laughs) Maybe all of us should respond that way. 
But she walked over, find Jesus, I'll brush his hair. And she started to brush his hair. And he began to tell her that he was here at MD Anderson for cancer treatment. And that he loved Jesus. And they had spent a week there and he was really worried about how he looked when he went back to see his wife again. And of course, she begins to cry and brushed his hair. And they got on the plane. And when she went on the plane, she says she passed one of the, uh, the, the attendants. And one of the attendants was, she could see she had been watching what had happened and she was just bawling. And she said, what made you do that? And Beth said, it was Jesus. He's just so bossy. He won't leave me alone sometimes. You can imagine her saying that, right? She said she ended up witnessing to the attendant who had been watching, telling of the goodness of God. You see, what we ask oftentimes is, and this is something I learned years ago when I reread this story for the millionth time, We ask ourselves a couple of questions when God whispers in our ear to respond to a need. The question makes all the difference. And the question that the priest and the Levite ask is, what will happen to me if I stop and help? And the question that the Pharisee that we're going to get to next week The question that he asks is, what will happen to him if I don't? And that question makes all the difference in the world. What will happen to you? What will happen to me? What are the inconveniences? We're too busy. It'll cost too much. It's too messy. It's not my responsibility. Somebody else, I I want something good to happen, but somebody else will do it if I don't. Listen, every time you say no to the nudge of the Spirit, it deafens the voice of the Spirit. Every time you say yes, you've always wanted to hear, like if God would just speak, let me tell you how to hear God's voice. Just say yes to the little nudges. And when you start saying yes to the little nudges, you'll start hearing more clearly his voice when he speaks to you. But say yes. Don't quench the spirit by saying no. Amazingly, in the book of Acts, Philip, one of the early disciples, uh, after Stephen is stoned and the disciples are dispersed, like Philip goes to Samaria and it says Philip began witnessing in Samaria, and Jesus had commissioned them, remember, to go to the ends of the earth, but he said, go to those in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, the different ones, the messy ones, the ones you don't think, those are not God's people, that's what you think anyway, and I'm going to send you there. And Philip begins to preach to the Samaritans, and then he goes down on the road, and an Ethiopian's going by, and just at the right time, God gives him an intersection, and he converts an Ethiopian. And all of a sudden, Jesus' commission to go begins taking root, and, and even in the midst of persecution and disruption, when it looks like the schedule is off and nothing is going according to plan, God shows up and does something amazing just because people will brush a man's hair, 
will say yes to God. You don't know what God will do through you, but take that risk and say yes. Ignore that voice that says, what will it cost me? What will happen to me? What about the mess? But they're hard to love. Friends, say no to those excuses or you might miss the main thing. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I pray that your voice, whatever you're saying and the ways that you're convicting and the ways that you're moving, that your voice would be what we hear today. And not only would we hear your voice, but we would lean into obedience. That we would say no to the excuses that we all make. And God, just like you're gracious with us when we say yes to you the first time, I thank you that each and every time, Lord, that we ignore your voice or say no to the to the the small whisper of your spirit to do things that are uncomfortable, that push us out of our comfort zone that that we know will, will be costly or, God, that you give us another chance. And so today, I just, I wanna just invite you to say yes to Jesus, to the nudge of his spirit. Maybe he's inviting you to repent, to turn from some sin that might be deeply buried in your heart that you would not make excuses any longer, but you would say yes. Maybe he's been telling you to have a conversation or to extend forgiveness to someone Say yes. Don't leave that here. Don't let this story just be a story. But find find yourself in it today. Have the conversation. Ask forgiveness. And maybe for some of us, it's just messy. It's just broken. We can't control the outcome. I pray that the Spirit would give you courage to continue to make small choices of obedience. To leave the results to Him. Just say yes to Him in the little thing, in the next little thing that He calls you to. God, I pray that you turn our hearts towards that obedience. That we would not miss the little, everyday, ordinary, important things the intersections, the conversations with unexpected people or with people that we just want to avoid. So Lord, we pray that you'd open our hearts and make us more like Jesus and thank you for your grace, Lord. If nothing else, just remind us of the profound and extravagant grace that you've poured out on us, that you've called us sons and daughters, that you've not counted our transgressions against us, that our disobedience, our stubbornness does not define us, but that you walk us into new identity, 
So I pray that freedom would cover us. Freedom. A freedom out of which we will serve you in faithfulness and obedience. A freedom out of which we will be willing to take a chance and even fail. That in failing, you might be glorified. That in taking a step, that you might encourage faith. And that we might leave the results to you. But Lord, we prioritize. We say that you are the one we love. And and may that be true in the way that we live. It's in your son's name we pray. We are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.